Good morning. Have a seat. It's good to see you. Thank you for braving the elements of the icy street of, of 65th. And every, well, 65th is clear, right? This street is like an ice rink. It's nuts. It's really kind of fun. I almost ate it. Yesterday we came in here uh, to do a couple things, and, and I slid from the blue house on over like, like this. It was crazy, but it was fun. But thank you for braving. Uh, so thanks for being here. Those who are online, we wish you were here. Hopefully we'll see you soon, maybe next week or so. Uh, but it's happy, happy new year. Uh, I saw a meme uh, this last week. I was, we had the week out of the office and so work from home kind of thing. And so I was, I was looking at memes a lot uh, in between football games because they're funny and there's a lot going on and memes kind of make the news more palatable at times. And so, uh, I saw one where it was like this, this little, this little guy asking his dad, dad, what's a new year's resolution? And the dad leans over and says, it's something that some people make to get through the first three weeks of the year. And I thought, that's about right. When I think of resolution, that's, that's right. But this is the time of year for resolutions, right? A new year, a new you in 2022. Are we allowed to say that or is it cringeworthy? Cringeworthy? But it rhymes. And I thought rhyming was good. Anyways, uh, there's a strange thing about resolutions and uh, it's like this arbitrary day on the calendar that we all come to, and, and we're supposed to forget about everything that happened last year, which was like two days ago, and then focus on the possibilities of what comes next. And I think that's good. Uh, last year, without exception, was, it was a difficult year for some people. Uh, it both had peaks of good and, and the valleys of bad and difficulties, but if we think about it, that's how life works everyone's life goes that way. You have these good days, and then you have the peaks and the valleys of the bad days, and then nothing looks as good as your social media account uh, portrays it. And we all understand that, even though we get trapped in there with the, having the comparison thing. So as we move into this new year, uh, there, there's a couple stances here. Some people think, we are not going to make any resolutions about this new year. We're not going to set any goals. And I've seen this on, the, on my week of social media binging, which was last week. There's a whole movement saying that setting goals when it comes to life is bad. And I looked at it and went, that doesn't seem right. But then it, you dig into a little bit more. And the reason why they don't want to set goals is because they feel like they're setting themselves up for disappointment. And so if, if I set a goal, I'm going to fail. I'm going to be upset with myself. I'm going to feel bad about myself. So the best thing I can do, rather than trying to meet the goal again is to have no goals and just coast through life. And that doesn't seem to work, right? There's a value in setting goals. Resolutions, goals, uh, intentions, whatever you use, are, are intimidating, especially the bigger and more daunting they may be. The simple goals of drinking more water, that, that's fine. But the, more, the ones that are like, I want to lose 80 pounds, or I want to build a house in this next year, the more arduous the goal, the more or the more intimidating it is, and the harder it comes to life. It comes to it. The more that your goal will change your life, the scarier it is. And so we shy away from making goals so much that we say, some people, we're not going to make any goals. Goals aren't bad. Let me say this: goals aren't bad. And even though the reasoning makes sense, you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be intimidated. You don't want to be disappointed when it doesn't happen. When life throws you the curveball, you don't want to say that you missed it. You just want to say, oh, there goes a curveball. But there, there is a value in setting where you want to go. 
if we are to progress as to be better humans, if we are to progress in pursuing Christ and becoming more like him in our everyday lives, we have to set goals. Goals become absolutely necessary. And so today, as we start off into this new year, uh, I want to talk a little bit just about goals. I, I want to speak about it. And goals are actually good. They're very biblical. And I want to challenge you with, at the end of this with two goals just for you uh, that, that can impact the rest of our lives. But first, I want to show you something about goals. This past week, Carrie, uh, she, I'm watching memes, and she's the more spiritual one a lot of the times. She's listening to, to like, pastor podcasts, and I'm downstairs scrolling through the meme bank. And, uh, and she sends me this podcast from Pastor Rick Warren. Have we heard of Rick Warren? I like Rick Warren. He's a pretty cool guy. And he has awesome Hawaiian shirts that I would never wear. But one of, he's, uh, in one of his podcasts, he talks about this, that it's our spiritual responsibility to set goals. He points out that if we, that if we fail to set goals for ourselves, somebody else will set goals for us and we'll live somebody else's goals out, which is frightening if you think about it. Because if you're not living the goals that you set for you, you're living someone else's life or someone else's idea for your life. So goals are good. And I've seen this in my own life. I, I think it was the decade of my 20s, which was 20 years ago. That's a long time. But it was then where I realized that I didn't have anything that I wanted to do. What I was doing instead is whatever else my friends wanted me to do, and I was just going along with the flow. And then pretty soon I'm working a job I didn't like, even though I was good at it. I didn't like it, and my life felt unfulfilled. I wasn't doing what, my, what I was created to do. It was only then that I figured out I need to set goals, and I don't want to go on autopilot and live this person's version of my life in order for me to find what God wants me to do. That's not the way to go about it. They would say, let's just coast through life and you'll be fine. And that's awesome. But the problem with coasting is that, as Pastor Rick pointed out in this podcast I was listening to, is you're going downhill when you're coasting. You're not going anywhere else. You're going in the wrong direction. If you're drifting, you're off course because you've decided to allow somebody else to declare what was important for your life. And that's not healthy, and that's not good. Your life will either be by your design, or it'll be by, by default. You get to choose. And so today, as we look at this rest of the year, we have 363 more days to set goals and accomplish them. Let's look at goals. They're biblical. When we think of goals, the first thing I want you guys to see is that goals are biblical. God sets goals. We're going to have a lot of scripture. Greg, this is his first time on, on slides today in a long time, and he's being trialed by fire right now, okay? There is a lot of scripture to this. In Genesis 12, God sets a goal. He says this, I will make this. He's talking to Abraham. This is uh, God's calling Abraham. He's telling Abraham what God plans to do with Abraham's people. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Does that sound like a goal? Absolutely. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. What he's saying is, Abraham, through you, I'm going to redeem the entire world through your lineage. That's a big goal. And he does it. He starts with Abraham and then Father Abraham. We know the song had many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. Okay, let's praise the Lord. Then in Exodus 3, he says to Moses, he again sets a goal. He says, I'm going to set my people free. That is another goal. God sets goals. In Jeremiah 29, this is on, a bottom, on the bottom of a lot of emails. It's a big 
famous Christian verse. It's a good verse in a really rough book. This is the highlight of the whole book of Jeremiah. He says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a goal. God sets goals for us. Plans, goals, attention. Uh, intentions. There are literally hundreds more of them as you flip through scripture of God's promises that he makes, what he's intending to do with the human race, what he's attempting, what he's attending to do uh, in bringing Christ into the world, what he's intending to do to redeem us all is a goal. God has goals. Jesus has goals. He was supposed to, in John 12, 46, he says, I'm going to bring light and life to those who are in darkness. He says, I have come into this world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. That's a goal. Anyone in darkness. In John, darkness represents life before Jesus. Light represents life with Jesus. And he's saying, look, I'm trying to draw all people to myself so they're no longer in darkness. That's Jesus's goal. Uh, Jesus' other goal was to point people towards truth. In John 18, 37, he's standing with Pilate. And Pilate's asking him all these questions. And finally, he says, you are the king, right, Jesus? says Pilate, and Jesus answered, you say that I'm the king. In other words, he's saying, if you say so, I am. In fact, the reason I was born, Jesus says, and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So what was Jesus's goal there? To bring people to truth. First John uh, uh, 3.8 is probably one of the most intriguing verses for me as we look at Jesus' goal. Uh, this is John talking. He says, the one who does what is sinful uh, is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil in all of his work. That's a huge goal. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus had goals in his ministry to save the lost. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to what? Save the lost. Jesus lived his life with goals. Goals are good. Paul had goals in Acts 19. Greg, we doing okay? All right. After all this happened, Paul says, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I need to go to Rome. Rome was one of Paul's goals. He got there, probably not the way he wanted to, but Paul's goal to go to Rome worked. Paul had personal goals. In Philippians 3.12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which is Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which, Christ, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul there is talking about everything that he's leaving behind. And in order for him to pursue God, he's leaving the former life behind and he's moving forward towards the goal of becoming more Christ-like. In this verse is the biblical doctrine of sanctification meaning you have to let go of the old stuff in order to pursue the good stuff. So Paul's saying, I'm leaving that stuff behind me. I know it's there, but I'm looking ahead and I want to get there. It's sort of like when you're driving your car. If you were to drive your car and the whole time, especially on this ice, if you were looking in your rear view mirror the entire time you're driving, how are you going to drive? You're going to drive terribly. No wonder we can't drive in the snow. We're looking behind us. The reason why your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror is because it's more important to look at what's ahead of you 
rather than what's behind you. The past is still a part of you. We take lessons from the past. We learn from the past. We can't erase the past. But we look forward towards the goal. Paul also wanted to go to Asia. In, in Acts 16, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter uh, Bithynia. You know that place. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So Paul had a goal. He wanted to preach through Asia, but every time he tried, the goal was not met. He had to stop. This is an interesting part in Paul's journey. He wants to go this way, but Jesus is saying, no, don't go that way. Now, here's the thing with goals. Paul could have done this. I'm just going to plow right through. I'm going to ignore what the Spirit of Jesus is saying. I'm going to ignore what God is trying to tell me. And I'm just going to go through with my goal. I have to accomplish my goal. This is when our goals, don't beca- this is when our goals become dangerous. Because if we ignore what God is trying to do with us and plow through with our own intentions without inviting God into our goals, we end up off course. He could have done this, but Paul stopped. It uh, it goes on in in Acts 16.9. That night, Paul had a vision from from a man of Macedonia begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is where Paul models something that we all have to take into mind when we make our goals for this coming year. It's okay to alter and change your goals. Life happens. How many goals in 2020, two years ago, did you have to put a pause on? A lot of them. And that's okay. How many goals this last week with travel plans and everything did you have to put a pause on? Many of us did. Sometimes your goals get offered, and it's okay to change your goals. We get in this mindset that we have to, once we set a goal, we can't change it. It has to happen. Paul changed his goals. In fact, the Bible, when it talks about goals, warns against both extremes of setting them. It says in one section, you you can't take your goals, you can't set your goals without taking into mind the things that God desires. When you set your goals, invite God into them. This is what James talks about in James 4, 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Sounds like a great goal, right? Especially that last part. Let's make money. Why do you, do you not even know what, why do you, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's straight from Ecclesiastes. Instead, you ought to say, if if this is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. It's good to make plans. It's good to make goals. But in your goal planning, in your intentions, leave room for God to change your goals and change your plans. His goals take precedence over ours. In Proverbs 16, 9, talks about the great thing about making goals. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Plan your course, but let God guide your feet. In other words, we have our ideas. We can make our plans, but do you allow room within your goals to, for God to work and change them? 
Jesus talked about the goodness of setting goals. He talks about an illustration of building a tower. He says in Luke 14, 28, one of you, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Yes, that's called being wise. When you have a goal, you're going to take into account all of the things that will come into your life. If you don't set your goals wisely, you're going to end up disappointed. If you don't invite God into your goals, you're going, uh, it's going to be painful when things don't go your way. God changes your goals, and that's okay. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to po- poverty. Over and over in Scripture, and we can go through a ton more if we wanted to or if I wanted to, but I want to give Greg a break here because there's a lot here. The Bible says it is wise to set goals. Don't avoid goals. Set them. To live with no motivation or no planning is not how God wants you to live your life. In fact, he warns against it in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. He talks about the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard, Proverbs says. Consider its ways and be wise. The ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at the harvest. How long will you live there, you sluggard? When will you get up and rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a, like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. The warning there is don't be lazy. Don't let your life just happen to you. Set your goals. Don't neglect work. And, and then you fail to, when you neglect work, we become lazy. When we fold our hands, a little rest, a little slumber, and then you put everything off until the day before, uh, you lose your window of opportunity. For the ant, the summertime was preparation for the winter. It had a goal that for the wintertime, when the ice comes, it's going to store enough. Its goal was to store enough that it can get through the winter. Failure to plan will lead in disaster, the proverb says. Don't coast through your life is the warning. Don't let your life happen to you. The warnings when it comes to goals is never not to set any goals. Rather, it's to set them and invite God into the setting of the plans. Create them with God in mind and be open to them. I'd agree with this line that that it is our responsibility, or I hope you agree with this line, that it's our, (coughs) excuse me, that it's our responsibility to set goals for our lives. This is what we have to do. So let me ask a question. How many of us have set goals for this year? It's okay not to after today. Okay, that's fine. We can set goals. That's great. I have a goal board in, uh, on my, in one of my journals that says this year I want to accomplish this when it comes to weightlifting. I want to lift this weight. When it comes to reading, I want to read this many. And it's, so it's a goal for my life of what I want to do. We need to set goals. And one of the things that's always been said about goals is you set a big goal or you set a goal that's as big as your God. We set goals that will stretch us, goals that will stretch your faith and force you to rely on God's power and strength for you to meet them. When you have a tiny God, you make tiny goals. When you have a big goal, you make a big God. And so today I just want to give us a short, I want to give you two goals for your spiritual life, 
for your walk with Jesus. These are goals that I have, that I've been doing for the last couple of years, and I would love for you to share them with me. Uh, they were, they were, they're, they're going to be my, they were my goals two years ago. They were my goals last year, and I keep building on them because you'll see why, but you keep building because they change you. The first goal I have for us as a community at Bethany Ballard is this. This year, I will spend more time, in, at least, I will spend time in Scripture at least four days a week. I say four days a week for this reason. One time I was on a team. I was on a lot of teams. And one of the t- we had a little break, a summer break in, in, in soccer for college. And one of the guys asked the, asked the coach, Coach, how many days should we practice uh, when we're not in camp? And you, what do you expect the coach to say? Every day, four hours a day, right? That's what, we want, that's what he wanted us to do. But the coach didn't say that. Instead, he, it, it was an odd question, but the coach knew us, and he knew the possibility of us practicing every day on the fundamentals of our drills was going to be po- impossible. So he answered it this way. If you want to see any results from your practice, you have to practice more days than you don't. And so if you have a seven-day week, do we still have a seven-day week? Yes. If you have a seven-day week, what's the majority of seven? Four. So I will, we will practice four days of the seven. And that was easy. It was doable. We practice more days than you don't. And this principle can be taken to a lot of places. The goal would be every day, but the reality is you're going to miss a day or two here and there. You're going to sleep in. Your schedule's going to get ahead of you. Four days is better than three days. Four days is the majority of the week. Let's be realistic. Four of seven, the majority. So when it comes to Scripture, start with four days. What you'll find is this. Four days is easy. Four days is easy. Soon, you'll be up to five. Five days will become easy. Soon, you'll bump to six. Six days will become easy. And then soon, you'll bump to seven. Seven of seven. And that's every day. So I'm not saying don't do seven days in Scripture. I'm saying, yes, your goal eventually is to get to seven days. Start with four. When I was younger and more gullible, this is my time in the 20s, I had some friends that dared me to do a marathon. And that was, that was foolish. So I did four of them. And so, but the goal started in January. It was like the last week of December. My friend said, hey, Brad, you should run marathons. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Day one of the marathon, am I supposed to, training for the marathon, am I supposed to run 26 miles that day? No. Do you want to know how far I ran? To the light pole and back. That was day one. Day four, I made it to the third light pole and back. Day whatever, I'm up to three miles. Day whatever after that, I'm up to six, and then I'm doing 12, and then I'm doing 18, and then I'm doing 22, and then it becomes easier and easier the more you go along, and 22 turns into 26.2 bit by bit by bit. When we say we want to spend time in Scripture, start with the manageable. Start with four days a week. And here's why I want to challenge you with this. The more time you spend in Scripture the more you realize how much you actually need it. Just like, I don't know if any of us have fasted for a while, but when you fast for a while, you really start to realize on day two or three, you really need food. It's not just something that you, right now, if you just kind of go through, it's like breakfast, lunch, dinner, you don't even think about it. You skip some of those meals, you realize how much you need food in your body in order for you to function properly. 
The same is true with Scripture. You need it. We need it. You need it to grow. God wants you to grow in your faith, and one of the ways this happens is by reading God's Word and letting His truth sink deeply into your heart and into your mind. Through the Bible, we learn how God wants us to live. Through the Bible, we learn what's right and what's wrong. Through the Bible, we're pointed to truth. Through the Bible, we learn how God works. Uh, and most of all, we discover who God is and what he, what he wants to do with our lives. The more time you spend in here, in your scriptures, whether it's here or on your iPhone app, whatever you have, the more time you spend in here, the more, I guarantee it, the more you will know God and the more you'll understand what he wants to do through your life. I get a question a lot about, I just wish I knew what God wanted to say to me. I just wish I knew what God thought of me. And it's interesting, there's an entire book that tells you all those answers. We just need the discipline and the goal to sit down with it long enough to say, I know what God wants. I know what he wants this. I know what he wants me to do. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is our goal. It is useful for your life. The scriptures are useful for your life. And they're fascinating once you start reading through the stories. It's a fascinating book to see how God has moved in the past and how God will move in the future. And here's the part that we often forget with that verse. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. You want to know how you're supposed to get through this life of yours. You want to know how you're supposed to accomplish what God's will for your life? It's right here. This is how he equips you through the reading of his scripture. The more time you spend in scripture, the more time you'll notice your life has been changed. You see this also in scripture when you do your four days a week. You'll start to see how this takes place. Moses was going up and down in Exodus. He's going up and down from Sinai back down to the people of Israel. And every time he came down from uh, the top of the mountain, his face was glowing white. Not like white like ours are because we haven't seen sun in a while, but like glowing, like embarrassingly, so much so that they had to put a veil across his face so that he wouldn't freak anybody out. Paul picks up on this in Corinthians. He says, the more time you spend with God, the more your life will be changed. How do we spend time with God? Through his scriptures. How, do we, how does God speak to us? One of the primary ways is through scriptures. And the more you do this, the more your life will be changed. And like Moses, people will notice. He's different. She's different. Why? You're spending time with God. Every goal has a plan. If you plan to plan for your goal, or if you fail to plan for your goal, you're going to fail. So here's two ideas, and they're going to be on the screen, okay? This is one of the ways. This is, this is a very popular way. Greg, shoot it up there. Here's day one for you. Day one, tomorrow, three chapters, totally doable, 10 minutes. Genesis 1, Psalm 1, Matthew 1, okay? Read them. Think about it. If it if Psalm 1's pretty short, read it again. What do you see in there? Matthew 1, okay? Day two, here it goes. See how it works? Genesis 2, Psalm 2, Matthew 2. Day 3, oh, weird, right? Any guesses on what day 4 is? Genesis 4, Psalm 4, Matthew 4. 
Pretty soon you'll be at Exodus 1, Luke 5, Psalm 20, whatever. You'll be there because it just keeps going throughout the day and you know what you're going to read. We come to the Bible full of this mystery like, what should I read in order to get this thing from my life? It doesn't often work like that. Sometimes we spend time with God and we read these things as a discipline and God will start to speak through you through whatever book of the Bible you're in. And yes, even the genealogies, even Leviticus, which is a gnarly book to read. Don't start there. But you'll start to see that through those random sections, you'll go, oh, <laughs> that's where that verse comes from. Oh, that's what Jesus is talking about. Because you're spending time in the Old Testament, you're spending time in the New Testament, you'll start to piece together, this is what Jesus said here, and that sounds awfully a lot alike what Moses was going through here, or what Isaiah was saying here, you'll find what Paul was saying in Romans, and you'll start to piece it together, and you'll be going, oh my goodness, this is what God is saying to me. And the more time you set yourself up to spend time with God, the more time God will speak to you. Sometimes God wants to know you're listening to him. It's no fun to talk to somebody when they're not listening to you. I do this all the time with my children. It's no fun, and it's frustrating. So the more time you spend in that chair or on that bus or on, that, or on the audio book, the more time you open yourself up to what God is saying to you, the more God will speak to you. And it doesn't matter what book of the Bible you're in. And then day four comes, and if that's four days, okay, the next time you go up, next day five, chapter five, chapter six, and the more time God will spend the more time you spend there, the more time uh, God will, you'll hear God's voice. There are other ways to do Bible reading plans. There are hundreds of apps you can use. If you're more of an app person, by all means, get an app. I'm not against the iPhone on the Bible on the iPhone. Totally cool. Or on the iPad. Uh, Uversion app. You can look this up right now on the App Store. Hit download. They have Bible reading plans. It's awesome. They have this thing on there that, that my wife uses. It's the verse of the day. You read the verse of the day, and then they have a devotional to take you through, and then they have prayer prompts to take you through that. That's an awesome way to saturate your life with the scriptures. Download those apps from Uversion. The Bible Project, and I'm a big fan of the Bible Project. They have a reading plan. It's extensive. It's a huge chunk of scripture, but then they have videos to go along to really explain what's happening in this. And so they'll have a video of what the overarching story of Genesis as you're reading Genesis and then videos halfway throughout kind of illustrating what you just read. It's a beautiful thing through the Bible Project. They're just down in Portland too. So there's many plans for you to get into Scripture. That's the first goal. And here's the thing with every goal. All you have to do is start it and then let it grow from there. Goal two, spend 10 minutes in prayer each day. Just like reading the Bible four days of the week, what you'll find is 10 minutes is really not that long of a time. 10 minutes goes by pretty quick. Soon, after 10 minutes, it'll be 15 minutes. Then after 15, it'll be 20, 25, 30, 30. And the more time you spend in prayer, the more you'll realize that praying is quite easy. And the more time you spend in prayer, the more times you'll find yourself throughout the day praying and you won't even realize that you're praying. It just becomes a habit of your life. And the biggest pushback that I get with this when I say we need to be in our prayers every day is, well, I don't know what to pray. 
Well, just like our Bible plan, there's a hundreds of prayers of prayer planning and a thousands of practices to adopt. So here's a simple pattern. It comes from the section called the Lord's Prayer. His disciples come to him and say, hey, teach us to pray. And then he says, here's how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have, that we need to forgive. I, I get so many translations mixed up in my head. But here's how it happens. In that, we see a perfect pattern in how we should pray. When you sit down for your 10 minutes, the first thing you do, do, or what Jesus shows, is you acknowledge who you're speaking to. If you flip through the Psalms, and we, we won't do that today, whenever David lands his prayers, he always starts out with, this is God. The earth is his footstool. He holds the heavens in his hands. He keeps the snow in a bank over here and decides to let it go here. He acknowledges the bigness of God. So the first thing you do, it doesn't have to be poetic. You say, God, you created everything. You've acknowledged who God is. The second step, once you've acknowledged that God controls and God holds everything together, the second step is what? Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for holding everything. Thank you for giving me this, my house, my car, a job. Thank you for giving me my friends. Thank you for giving me, uh, if you don't have any of those, thank you for giving me the very breath in my lungs. Give thanks for what you have. And then the next step, ask for God's will to be done. Jesus says this, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want your will with this. So what's this look like? God, I want your will. I want what you want to be done in my interactions at work. God, I want what you want to be done in my interactions with my spouse, with my friends, with my neighbor who I want to throw snowballs at. Everything. God, I want your will to be done here. The next step, after you get through that, ask for what you need. This is where Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. He says, ask God for what you need here. And then then he says, ask forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. God, this is where I've messed up. I need forgiveness. Forgive me from this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I strayed away from what your desires were. And then lastly, this is where, we, this is where I have, have learned to grow, is the last step is shut up for a minute. Maybe you get through that. If you're only doing 10 minutes, maybe the first seven, and set a timer if you need to. Maybe the first seven is the first part of the list. And the last three is, okay, God, I'm listening. And we listen to what God might say. Sometimes it might hear like, you might sound like this. Nothing. That's okay. Other times you might get a clear, this is what God is saying. This is how I need to pray for somebody. Maybe somebody comes to your mind and instead of going, oh, I wonder what they're doing. No, maybe God's bringing that person to your mind and you're silent enough and God's saying, I want you to pray uh, for Henry right now. I want you to pray for him. You don't need to know everything that's going on in his life. God, I don't know why you brought him to my mind. I pray for him. May you be with him today. Guide his steps. Maybe there's someone who you haven't thought of for years and you begin to pray for them. But when you're silent, God will speak to you. Now, there are many reasons why we pray. First and foremost, we're commanded to pray. It, uh, scripture tells us to pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says pray without ceasing. In Ephesians 6, it says pray at all times. In Philippians 4, it says pray in everything we should pray. In Hebrews 13, it says pray continually without ceasing. 
Prayer brings us peace when we pray. We're commanded to pray, and if we want peace, we pray. Philippians 4, 6 says, And the peace of God will transcend all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, or in Philippians 4, 5, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, what? Prayer. Pray about it. Be anxious for nothing, pray about everything, Paul says. So we pray because we're commanded to. God responds to our prayers is why we pray. From uh, Cain's first prayer for leniency in Genesis 4, God responded. In, in, In Exodus 2, the Israelites cried for freedom. God responded. Moses sat at the foot of the Red Sea and prayed against the Amalekites in Exodus 14 and Exodus 17, and God responded. Hezekiah prayed in the, for an extension to his life in 2 Kings 20, and God responded. Abraham prayed for a son in Genesis 15, and God responded. The lepers, the people with leprosy, prayed for Jesus to come heal them, and Jesus healed them in Matthew 8. The Bible is woven together by examples of God moving in extraordinary responses to the prayers of his people. In Matthew 21, 13, Jesus said, this house shall be known as a house of prayer. He's talking about his church and what what constitute his church. It's not the building that we're in. What constitutes the church is the lives of those people who come into the building. And when he says his church will be known as a house of prayer, what he's saying is you will be known as a person who prays. This is our goal. And so we pray. And to make room and and to make prayer even more part of your life, you can join us. This is a a shameless plug. You can join us on Wednesday nights for our prayer gatherings where we simply just sit and pray. We pray for our, our city. We pray for our neighborhoods. We pray for our neighbors. We have about 90 minutes there where we pray for other churches, not just ours. We pray for God to begin moving powerfully through this place. These are good goals to have to spend time in scripture, to spend time in prayer. And so as you and I set forth into this new year, as we look at what God is wanting to do, I hope you don't put your spiritual life on cruise control. I hope you don't don't say, I'm just going to cruise through this life of mine with Jesus and just kind of, you know, go with the flow, do whatever. No, set some intentions. One of your goals in your life should be to become more and more like Christ. If you are a Christ follower, that is your mission. And how do we do this? We set goals and we spend time in prayer and we spend time in scripture. Good goals will be rewarded because when you give your life to a good goal God is, that is God-honoring, it'll begin to build a legacy for others to follow. One of my favorite things is... is uh, uh, my, my memory that I have is I would walk downstairs in our, in our house growing up and it would be early and my dad would be sitting in his chair underneath his light praying and reading scriptures. And I, I didn't think much of it until I get older and I was like, oh, this is an example that dad set for me and mom set for me. And I saw their legacy being formed through my life and that habit became one of mine, and not only mine, my brothers and my sisters, because it was formed for us. Why? It's a good goal, and their good goal established a legacy for us to follow. We get to plan the way we want to live. We get to plan the way we want to grow in Christ. 
And no matter how hard it is, God provides uh, these things to help us accomplish it. He provides his spirit to empower you. If you set a goal and you mean it and you get in the habit of every morning waking up to spend time in scripture and in prayer, pretty soon you're not going to need an alarm clock. God will wake you up and say, hey, we need to talk. I miss you. Let's chat. God's word will guide you. The more time you spend in scripture, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You'll be guided. And you'll find that the more you and the more you take time to become more like Jesus, your community around you will support you. These are good goals. The whole notion that we shouldn't have goals in our spiritual life is false. Don't follow it. Set your goals. Invite God into them. Spend time in scriptures. Spend time in prayer. And watch your life throughout this next year be transformed. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, that we do get to start new that we do get to say this arbitrary day on the calendar is a day where we're going to make changes into our lives. And Lord, as we look into these next years, months, may we bring you into this idea of our goals. That we make goals that would draw us closer to you. Lord, would you develop in us, in our church in Bethany Ballard, those here in person and those online, a hunger and thirst for your scriptures. That we would be in tune with what you have to say to us. That we would gain our truth from your scriptures and not from the 24-hour media cycle. That we would be shaped by your words and not our friends' words. That we would weigh everything whether it's right or wrong, through what the scriptures show us, what the scriptures teach us about what you have to say about our lives. God, may we build upon the foundation of your word that doesn't fail. You say to Timothy, guard the truth. So Lord, may we guard the truth in our hearts, in our minds. May we develop a passion for your word. Lord, Help us to develop a passion for prayer in our own lives. That soon we'll be finding ourselves praying as we're walking to the bus stop. Not because we're sitting down and trying, but just because it becomes natural to who we are and to who you've made us to be. Praying without ceasing because it's just a part of our lives. Lord, shape us in this next year. Give us ways to impact our community for you. Give us ways to bring the lost to the knowledge of who you are as Savior and hope. And in your name we pray.